On this episode of EdScoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, finding the right time to connect with students. This is EdScoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Students who received outreach at the right time were more likely to complete their coursework than students who did not receive the same level of personalized help, according to new research from Western Governors University. The research was published in the Journal of Post-Secondary Student Success. Jenny Sanders, WGU's Vice President of Faculty Experience and Academic Services, tells EdScoop's Lindsay McKenzie about how she got into this kind of work and the details of the research. Uh, So I'm actually a scientist by training, so my PhD is in biochemistry. And um, my postdoctoral work was in environmental toxicology. And um, so I would say I bring that mindset of a scientist that, you know, interest in discovery and research and, and you know, sort of evidence-based approaches. Um, and in a graduate school and then also, you know, before and after my postdoc, I began uh, taking classes and understanding more about education and had the opportunity to teach and build some curriculum actually while I was at Cornell University and really enjoyed it. I found it very, very fulfilling. Um, And as I was having some of those experiences, I uh, became more and more aware of the need for high quality adult education to meet the needs of so many learners. We have about 40 million adults in the United States who have some college, so they've tried, um, and no degree. And so they've they've left without the benefit of of those efforts. And um, and it was actually about maybe 12 years ago that I decided I really wanted my future to be in adult online higher ed so that we could really develop the incredible potential of all of these people that um, that have so much to contribute, but we weren't necessarily providing a pathway for them to get the skills and the training and the the um, credentials that would help them to you know kind of live their best lives. And um, about ten years ago, I found Western Governors University and started started my journey here. And um, obviously loved the teaching. Um, moved into people leadership after a couple of years, and I find leadership to be kind of another version of teaching in many ways, because you're developing other people, really thinking about how you can help them to be successful, help them to grow and progress. And, um, and about four, four and a half years ago um, is when I moved into a director of faculty experience roles, which was more of a, an innovation role, really seeking to, um, from a centralized position at the university, um, coordinate and um and really advance the the tools and the policies, process, practices of our uh, really incredible force of you know over twenty six hundred faculty members that um, that talk with students. And so that's that's been you know some of my journey. And what I'll say is I'm also a first in family college graduate myself, so I have a lot of empathy for folks who are coming to higher ed without a lot of background or support before that journey. And um, I'm thinking carefully about how do we help them find success here? How do we really help them leverage their strengths and to do that in a way that meets their needs when they have really complicated lives, which many of our students do. So um, that's that's kind of a summary (laughs) of that journey. That's great. Um, I think your job title is quite unusual. I mean, is it a new role or is it something that was kind of created for you? What is the history of that faculty experience? Great question. 
Um, as far as I know, there's not really another title like that um, in higher ed. So it was created by my um, former leader who um, uh, you know, created the job, uh, Natalie Murray. And the focus was that, you know, rather than thinking about it in terms of faculty operations, which is, you know, a title that you'll see across higher ed in many, especially in online contexts, that it was really more about, this isn't just about operations, this is about the experience of our faculty. And I think of that in uh, kind of a two-pronged way, both the experience that they have as faculty members. So how are we helping them, supporting them? And then also what's the experience of our learners with their faculty, right? What's our learners' faculty experience? So um, I we work quite a bit on understanding and advancing both of those um, aspects of the experience. And because it says experience, I get to think about more than just the tools, but also, um, you know, how are they feeling? Do they feel developed? Uh, are they finding ways to see how successful they're being? Um, are they finding connection and cultivation in their experience? And that's a, it's a really important word for me. There was at one point they, they wanted to switch the word to operations. And, um, and I pushed back because that experience is, I think, really core to how we create an ecosystem that really honors that human potential. Could you give me some highlights of work that you're working on? right now or, you know, projects you're thinking about uh, for this year? Yeah. So we continue to work with our ed tech teams to advance some of the technology. And in particular, we're looking at how can we incorporate um, even smarter, looking at how we can incorporate even more um, intelligent and personalized support for learners, leveraging lots of modeling and some AI uh, capabilities. Um, and then uh, on the faculty side, we're actually in the midst of a, a pretty long-term faculty development process where we're helping them to create communities of practice and, um, and training them and, and aligning and also learning from them, incorporating their insights into our faculty principles, standards, and practices so that we can support the quality of that interaction, of that support at scale. And as part of that, we're actually creating a, um, a quality metric that's based on a host of different types of observations of um, you know, faculty interactions with students, whether that's one-to-one and one-to-many, and thinking with our faculty about, okay, what does it mean? How, how does that quality show up? What are the things that we see? Um, and, uh, and really, really trying to leverage their expertise in helping us better represent the work that they're doing. I've done a lot of focus groups with faculty over the years about how, you know, how do they know they're successful? How would they want their work to be, um, you know, sort of measured or assessed? And quality is something that comes up all the time. And so we were uh, really working assiduously on that, as well as uh, also developing additional research and, and metrics around what we're learning about what works for whom, so that we can better focus the efforts and the time of our faculty members on the students who are most likely to benefit from that additional support. And we've started to do that. That's, you know, the, the paper that we published recently in the journal Post-Secondary Post Success talks about some of the first efforts there, but we're really um, trying to advance that pretty quickly and go much, uh, become much more um, efficient and scalable in the way that we're doing that. That was a great segue to the research paper. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear a little bit about that research. 
I know it focused on improving student outcomes and improving retention. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what the framing was and what you found. So let me just start really quickly. I want to make sure I give credit to the folks who um, really started this from the very beginning back in 2017. So Elizabeth Aguilar Barnett and Terry Jones were product and project managers who helped us gather some faculty together into a room and actually worked with them and said, okay, (laughs) imagine, you know, it's blue sky, you know, any, forget about our, our policies, processes, whatever right now, how would you answer the question who needs me today? And what would you need? And what would that look like? And really worked with the faculty members to design what eventually became the learner care dashboard. Um, and uh, and I'm really proud of the fact that this was designed with our faculty from the very beginning um, and, uh, and that the framing was around, yeah, who needs me, right? How do I use my time well? How do we serve our students? And, um, and so that became this tool where we were sur- uh, surfacing, you can think of them as you know, notifications, we call them essential actions that, um, that are based on different points of the learner journey, where we think additional support or faculty contact could be helpful. And that's based on both input from faculty, as well as, um, you know, some of the early research that we've done on the association with student outcomes. And so... The, what the paper outlines is when we, um, you know, we, we tested this tool, we did a few different pilots, and then after full implementation, all of our uh, program and course faculty were using this, and that was launched in July of 2019. And what we wanted to understand, and what was the focus of this research, was, you know, when these essential actions are surfacing for learners, um, another key aspect of this is that we actually had a, a service level agreement um, for these different actions. So not just that, oh yeah, the student needs help, but you know, please try to reach out to them within a certain time period. And that time period would vary depending on the action. And, uh, and so we wanted to understand not just the impact of the outreach, but also the, the timing of that outreach across the entire experience of the learners. That was you know, something that we looked at, the time period was from December of 2020 until May of 2021. And in all, the data set was over 300,000 student course interactions. We're very fortunate in an online environment, you know, with um, a large student population that we, we have a really rich data set to draw from. And, um, and so we were looking at their predominant experience, you know, were they mostly receiving this outreach and were they mostly receiving it within that timeframe of the service level agreement or the SLA, um, or was it, you know, outside of the SLA or maybe were they not receiving it? And, um, and what we found was that for those students who received that outreach, it certainly had a positive impact on their course completion as well as their retention and if it was more timely, so done within that SLA time period, that had a, quite a um, quite a dramatic effect actually on the uh, course completion rates as well as retention for many of our learners. And this was disproportionately true in a positive way for um, our learners who self-identified as part of a, um, a marginalized racial or ethnic group, uh, as well as for learners who, based on you know, a predictive model we have called our momentum indicator, um, are, are showing additional friction in their journey that slows their momentum, that our learners who are sort of medium to lower momentum also had a disproportionately positive um, association with this timely outreach. So that was something that, you know, we, we wanted to understand, you know, was it working and for whom? Um, and it was a really wonderful thing to see that, in fact, 
the outreach that our faculty were performing were helping the students who, in many cases, needed them most. Could you give some examples of the kind of outreach that you're asking faculty to do? Yeah, great question. Um, in many cases, we'll ask them to, uh, it, it kind of depends on, you know, that particular touch point and how high stakes um, it is. So, for example, when a learner is, you know, starting a course or at particular moments in the journey where an email could absolutely work, the faculty may may send them, you know, a personalized email or a nudge, sometimes a text. Um, and it also depends on the learners. Some of the learners really prefer email just because of the structure of their lives at a particular time. But generally speaking, especially when it's around something like an assessment, if a student has attempted an assessment unsuccessfully, then uh, we know that that is pretty vulnerable moment for many of those learners. Uh, WG is a competency-based school, which means we don't give grades. Um, we have, you know, they need to reach a level of competency. And so they don't pass an assessment. It's not that they, you know, quote unquote, got an F. It's that they didn't yet get the B plus, right? Or the A minus. And so for many of our learners that understanding that distinction can be a little difficult. And so when they see that they didn't pass, they they feel deeply like they have failed, right? And um, and so being there in a timely way to say, hey, way to go. Like this, you took the first step towards passing all of this. Look at all the progress you've made, um, you know, and here are some, some areas and let's, let's talk about a study plan that will help you with your next attempt. Um, really helping them feel that sense of support and, you know, like personalized recommendations to help them continue forward and understanding that this is, you know, this is not a problem. <laughs> this is part of the learning process. Um, and to be there quickly in those moments is really important. And so often those are phone calls. And if they're not able to reach the student, then, um, you know, they'll, they'll send them an email, offer to schedule time. We really do try to, whenever possible, speak with learners in those types of moments where we know that they may need, you know, some of that emotional support and not just kind of that academic support. The concept of flagging students who are struggling is something that's been around for a long time. And I'm wondering if you think you've sort of cracked the formula for reaching out to students at the right moment. I, I can't say that we've like totally cracked the code just yet, but I do think we've provided with this paper some important insights about just how critical timing can be um, and also kind of that dosage. So many of the studies thus far that we were able to find um, are often kind of in a, a course, a set of courses or a major or, you know, like a, a, a group of programs. And, and this was looking at, okay, what if this is the experience of these learners across all of their courses, right? Across, you know, students in all of these different terms. And, um, and so that's something that I think was quite valuable seeing that providing this type of outreach across the uh, the full student experience there their their full journey does have quite a bit of impact and um, and while WG is unique in its kind of self-paced competency-based environment that we have I do think that understanding the importance of when right not just what or who but also when in terms of that uh, those student touch points is is really important. And we do reach out to learners before they, you know, take assessments and things like that. Even if they're taking a pre-assessment, for example, we will surface that to our faculty members, whether they pass or or don't pass it. And because um, both of those things are, um, you know, when students are taking steps towards making progress, um, we want to make sure that they they feel supported and in many ways celebrated in the progress that they're making. And so we we definitely surface those types of things. We also will surface 
if a student hasn't been in contact with a faculty member for a few weeks, um, they may still be working in the course and things, but we know that that faculty contact is so important for many learners. And so that's another thing that will sort of, you know, surface to our faculty members say, hey, this person hasn't really been in contact with faculty for a while. Think about reaching out. And the SLAs for that type of an essential action is a bit longer. It's, you know, um, not quite as a quick turnaround as if they failed an assessment, for example. But um, but we do find that, that that's still quite impactful, you know, especially for learners who, and I'll, I'll speak from my personal experience as a first and family uh, graduate, that I was really used to doing things on my own and I, I was not great at seeking out help. And that's a pattern that we've noticed in our data as well from our learners is that many of the learners who really need support tend to be a little more reticent to reach out for it. And so when we reach out to them and we don't make them come to us <laughs> when they need support, that makes a pretty big difference. And I think the, that um, the whole concept of belonging and having a student feel like, oh, they're thinking of me, right? Like I, they're reaching out to me. I don't have to ask for this all of the time is pretty powerful, both in terms of just its effectiveness, um, but also in the overall experience and kind of affective experience of the learner. Could we dig into what the learner care dashboard is or what it looks like? I'm not sure if it's something that faculty or students would see. Is it integrated into other systems? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, great question. So this is a faculty facing tool. We um, actually built it into our instance of Salesforce. And so our faculty, um, they, they use Salesforce for most of their kind of SRM needs. And, um, and so it's, it is, you know, kind of in this environment where they're already working and it's relatively simple. There's actually a picture of it in the paper if people want to check that out, but, um, but it's essentially kind of a grid that will show the name, the learner, you know, why the notification is surfacing and, um, and then, you know, kind of the date and, the SLA, things like that. We also have incorporated into that line um, buttons that allow them to directly call the learner, directly email the learner, go into the learner record um, to try to make it as easy as possible for faculty to use that dashboard to access what they need and to contact the student. There's different columns that they can sort by different things. So for example, if they wanted to address you know, all of the students with a particular uh, essential action you know, um, at a time, they could do that. And um, we also have something in there that lets them sort by momentum indicator so that they can be sure that they're focusing their time on the learners who, um, you know, may be losing momentum and need a little more support to help them regain that momentum. Would the faculty log that they had called the student and what the outcome yes. of that conversation was? Yeah, yeah. So we uh, that's part of the work that they'll do within Salesforce. They, uh, they'll go into the student notes and enter that information. And all of the faculty who are working with that student can see those notes. They're all, you know, kind of centralized for that learner record. So they can see what that history has looked like, the conversations and, um, you know, goals, things like that. I'm guessing that this was developed in-house, but I'm wondering, did you look at some of the commercial options out there for student outreach and, and flagging systems? Yeah, great question. It was developed in-house. It's very custom, I will say that. Uh, and part of that was that um, there, I think there are some great tools out there. 
uh, many of them we found difficult to incorporate into our particular model because we have students who are starting every month because they're progressing at their own learning rate um, and are not really cohorted in the same way, you know, across a semester, for example, that they may be in courses at other institutions. We found that um, many of the tools kind of struggled to fit into the uh, in, into that particular context because uh, they, they were built around um, institutions that are more traditionally set up. So uh, yeah, I, 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 it's been several years now and we are actually looking around to see what else people are doing and learning um, as we think about the kind of the next iteration of these tools. Have you been able to move the needle in terms of showing that course retention is improving and, and how do you demonstrate that? I'd love to dig into that um, data piece. Sure. So let's see. So we look at course completion, the, you know, the, the course completion rate, and then also just retention, like are they retaining at the institution? Um, so those two different pieces are what we looked at in the paper. And what we saw is that uh, it really does seem to be moving the needle for the learners who are receiving this outreach. So for example, overall, we saw that this outreach was associated with a 20% higher course completion rate for our learners. And for students who self-identified as Black or African-American, that went up to 29.3% They, um, in terms of that increase in course completion rate for learners who received the outreach in a timely way versus those who did not. Uh, for our native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, it was 25.5%. Uh, for our Hispanic students, it was 21.8%. So we we really saw some uh, some pretty, I would say, encouraging differences in that course completion rate. And then um, in terms of the drop rate, what we saw was um, for our, you know, overall, we saw an improvement in that drop rate. And that was especially pronounced for our learners who were moderate or very low momentum. So again, for the learners who were in, in many ways at the greatest risk of dropping, um, we actually saw the largest relative decreases in, in that drop rate. So we we do think that this helps to to move the needle there, and um, we're very encouraged <laughs> by the results so far. And uh, of course, things are moving very quickly, and um, and even the uh, kind of the evolution of the um, types of learners who are coming to us is evolving. So this is something that we're certainly not resting on our laurels. We want to make sure that we're continuing to improve that, and make sure that regardless of um, you know, how students are coming to us, that we can provide them the type of support that can help them be successful and continue to improve those course completion and persistence rates. I'm curious, are there any other approaches to improving course completion, course retention that you're working on that you could share with me? Um, and which do you think are most exciting? Mm, you know, one of the things I'm really quite enthusiastic about is how we can think about incorporating more um, substantial peer support at scale. And this is, you know, there's rich literature out there and high read on the power of, you know, that peer-based support, whether it's peer mentoring, peer tutoring, supplemental instruction, you know, lot, lots of different things. Doing that at scale in a self-paced environment is something that has been, you know, a little tricky for us to figure out. And we've been doing a number of different experiments and different things over the last year, year and a half that, um, that I'm quite encouraged by. And one of them I would say was actually just very grassroots from our faculty members in the um, in the teachers college, where several of them were hearing from students that 
it would sometimes be hard for them to focus, right? They, they're you know, at home with children after a long day at work, you know, all of those things and, um, and needed a little extra motivation to help them kind of, you know, buckle down and, and really focus on their studies. And so they, they opened up a, a virtual study hall and this happened to be in a WebEx platform where they would have different breakout rooms that you know were you know, assigned to different courses, essentially. And when a learner came in, they'd be greeted by um, a faculty member and asked what they wanted to study and work on and move them into a breakout room where there would be other students there. And uh, and often there would also be another faculty member who would you know drop in, see if there were questions. But for the most part, these learners will sit on camera and study quietly together. And I think, you know, I was a little surprised by this, although maybe I shouldn't have been because we became a lot more used to this type of behavior during the pandemic. But it seemed that that sense of accompaniment and sort of peer accountability to like, okay, we're focusing on studying right now. And also the ability to ask the questions in real time or like, hey, how are you approaching this um, with another learner has been quite powerful. We've also instituted um, fully online supplemental instruction. And some of our first term courses, especially in general education, and seeing some really great um, experiences and feedback there with learners. And, uh, and then we're also experiencing, or excuse me, experimenting with uh, a number of different ways of trying out digital student communities. Um, and I know this is something lots of institutions are looking at. And I think that's, that's another interesting nut that I think hasn't really been cracked, especially for adult online learners is the types of community that really help them build the relationships that are beneficial, not only in their academic journey, but beyond. And so we're really thinking a lot about what does a life cycle community um, look like, right? For not just learners today, but with alumni, potentially even with employers and um, and, and creating a, a more vibrant sense of a digital campus um, than what we've had up to this point. So those are some areas that I'm, I'm really excited about uh, in addition to the continued work that we're doing with our faculty. But I think that that peer support is, I, I think, a, um, a really fruitful area for experimentation and for opportunities for learners, not just to benefit from it, but also to give back. That's something we've heard from some of the folks who, uh, from some of our students who are helping with supplemental instruction, for example, how gratifying they um, they feel that is, how it helps their own learning and that they really feel like, you know, they have something to give within this environment and that increases their own persistence and, um, and progress as well. Jenny Sanders, Vice President of Faculty Experience and Academic Services at Western Governors University. You can read more about her and the research at edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a Scoop News Group production. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help make it happen, and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.